Well, handwritten letters have become a dying art in the era of the digital age. When writing a letter in the past, you had to think ahead of time and plan it out, what you were going to say, because we didn't have the luxury of editing those letters once we wrote them, right? It wasn't uncommon then to find that you forgot something. So you put this postscript or PS right at the bottom, and that that thought or that idea was probably something pretty important. In fact, it probably should have actually been in the actual letter, but you forgot about it. So rather than leave it out, you just tuck it in right at the end with a PS. This thought was far too important to leave out, and this was a subtle way of saying, I want you to know it, I just forgot to put it in the regular letter. Sometimes, though, the P.S. is a lot more than that. It's added at the end to say the most important thought or idea. In fact, you saved it for the very end, the last part of the letter. These last words, you put them in the P.S. so that it would be the last thing that the reader reads with hopes that it'll be the thought that stays with them the longest. Peter's letter that we've been studying over the last several months, closes with this series. Two weeks. We're going to be looking at the last words that Peter gives to his readers. And he closes with some thoughts that are vitally important to overcoming the persecution that his readers are about to face. Peter knew that there was this fiery trial that was about to occur, and he wanted the church to be prepared for it. The last words that Peter gave the church in this letter were important to follow if they were going to glorify God during this difficult experience. And they weren't just important for them. Because I would guess that there is a majority of people in this room who will either be in the midst of a challenge and a struggle, or they'll have one sometime in the near future. And these words will come as an encouragement and comfort to you as well. So if I could say it this way, the first of the last words is be humble. The first of the last words is be humble. In 1 Peter 5, we're going to start with verse 5. Peter says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to, to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Peter directs all believers to submit to God and then to one another. The younger believers, he said, should submit to the older believers out of respect for their spiritual maturity. Now, not every senior saint is a mature, a deeply mature Christian. In fact, the quantity of years doesn't guarantee that there will be a depth of spiritual maturity in that individual's life. This, and this text doesn't suggest that the seniors in any church should run the church and never listen to the younger generation. Too often, there is a generation war that happens in the church with the older people resisting change and the younger people resisting the older people. In 2013, we were on the precipice of that. We started a new initiative to reach the next generation with the gospel. 
And I put the, I put the, the web address on uh, Vimeo there in your, on your program, and it's on the, on the screen there if you want to copy it down if you're not taking notes on the program. But if you haven't heard this talk from September of 2013, I would encourage you to go back and, and check it out, or maybe uh, you heard it that day. Um, you maybe want to go back and refresh your mind as to what we are about in trying to reach the next generation with the gospel. And the reason we did this is that we found all the research nationally said that only 15% of the millennial generation were Christians. 15%. And there was a bunch of millennials who are living in the 40509. That was true back in 13. It's true today, five years later. So we set out strategically to try to reach them. And I am so grateful for the older believers here at Northeast who embrace that mission to reach the next generation. Many of you have sacrificed your personal preferences so that we can reach others more effectively. You have supported Northeast with your prayers, with your spiritual gifts, your finances, and your encouragement. And I know that there will be people in heaven because of what you have done, your willingness to make this about reaching others and not making it about you. And I am eternally grateful for that. That's what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter 5. 5. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. This is the answer to the problem of submission. And the word that Peter uses here, when he uses the word clothe, this is kind of an interesting, rarely used Greek word that refers to a slave putting on an apron before serving. It's the idea that Christians are to imitate the example of Jesus who wrapped a towel around his waist and served by washing his disciples' feet. No rabbi ever did that, but Jesus did. And just as Jesus served, each of us should have a servant's attitude and minister to each other. Paul points out what the true humility actually looks like in Philippians, the second chapter. Let me read a few verses to you here from Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. He's talking about in the church. If your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus would clothe himself, as Paul said, with humility, then we should too. Humility is not demeaning ourselves or even thinking poorly of ourselves. Humility is simply not thinking of ourselves that much at all. So as David talked last week and encouraged the elders not to lord it over the church, this week we also see that the younger ones are to submit to the elders. All of us, young and old, are to be characterized by humility toward each other. Here's a key point. 
We can never be submissive to each other until we are first submissive to God. Peter quoted Proverbs 3.34 to explain this point. The reason for humility is found actually in this verse from Proverbs. And it states that God gives grace to the submissive and opposes the proud. Did you get that? God is all for those who are submissive, those who are humble. But he is all against those who are pride, prideful. It takes grace to submit to another believer. But God can give you that grace if we humble ourselves first before him. God resists the proud because he hates the sin of pride. He hates he hates it. Proverbs 8:13 says, "To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance." evil behavior, and perverse speech. It was pride that turned the archangel Lucifer into Satan. It was pride that stirred Eve to take the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. The only antidote to pride is the grace of God. And we receive that grace when we yield our hearts to Jesus. The evidence of this grace at work in our lives, it's when we yield to one another. When we show humility, and put others above ourselves. Submission is an act of faith. We don't always know how it's going to work out, but we can trust God to direct our lives and work out His purposes in His timeline. Well, Peter goes on and says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. The key is the phrase, in due time. You see, God never exalts anyone until that person is ready for it. First the cross, then the crown. One of the evidences of our pride is our impatience with God. And one reason for suffering is so we might learn patience. It's not easy. And some of us might... (laughs) We might say, hey, could I phone a friend? I'd like to know if there was an easier way to get patience. You know, if you pray, Lord, teach me patience, you should, be, you should, you should prepare for the worst experience of your life. The most annoying person is going to be on that transatlantic flight right next to you with a baby. You know? It's just going to be, don't ever, pray that. Go ahead and see how it works out. James says this about patience. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is saying that we grow in the midst of the struggle. We're going to grow in perseverance. In verse 6, of Peter's message, his letter, his message was probably just a regurgitation or a repeating of what he'd heard Jesus say before. We read in Luke 14, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's Jesus talking. Well, Peter continues, and he talks about one of the benefits of, the part, of this part of a relationship with God is the privilege of letting him take care of the burdens in our lives. The ones that we can't, 
we can't seem to, to manage. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word translated anxiety. Anybody in here know what anxiety means? Anybody experience it? The, the way that they translate it here in the Greek is the state of being pulled apart. I think it's a great, a great uh, definition for this word. When your circumstances are difficult and you find yourself stressed out and panicking and you, you're feeling pulled apart, it's easy for us to become anxious or worried, isn't it? But if we are anxious, we're going to miss out on God's blessing. We need His inner peace if we're going to have victory over the fiery trial in order to bring glory to him through that time. And if anybody knew this from personal experience, that God cares for his own, it was Peter. I mean, if anyone knew that you could cast your cares and all your worries, all your anxious thoughts on God, and that he is capable to handle it, it was Peter. I mean, if you pick up the New Testament, read any of those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those accounts of Jesus' life, you just pick one and read it, you're going to find time after time Peter having some of the most unbelievable experiences as he encounters Jesus doing remarkable, amazing miracles in his life. Let me give you a couple examples. First, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter was right there. She was sick, and then all of a sudden she wasn't, and she was up. Peter walked on water, as far as we know. The only actual human who ever did that, other than Jesus, Peter did, because Jesus said he could. And then, I love this, he healed the ear of Malchus. Malchus was the guy that Peter tried to kill. He just wasn't very good at killing. And Jesus heals his ear. I mean, you go to kill somebody and you cut their ear off? I mean, really? And Jesus delivered Peter from prison, we read in Acts later after the resurrection. He shows up again to let Peter out of prison. God cared for Peter. There's no question about it. But how does God show his love and care for us when we give our cares over to him? Well, God's made several amazing promises that he does for us, especially when we face a struggle. Let me sh- I want to share these four with you. The first is this. God gives us courage to face our struggles and not run away. God is a source of courage to stand firm. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's a source of courage. Secondly, God gives us wisdom to understand the situation. He gives us wisdom James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you need wisdom to face the challenge that you're up against, just ask. God's a source of wisdom. God also promises that he will give us strength to do what we must do. If he calls us to something, he's going to equip us and facilitate it. And he'll give you the strength that you need. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God's that source of strength. And then the fourth promise that God gives is he gives us the faith to trust him to do what we can't do. This is a little more dicey. 
We've got to step out of the boat a little bit. But God's going to give us faith to trust him. Psalm 37, 5 says, And trust your ways to the Lord. Trust him, and he will act on your behalf. God promises to care for us in the midst of these struggles. So cast your cares, cast your anxious thoughts and your worries on him. Let me caution you about this this whole idea of casting your cares on him. When some people give God their burdens, they expect God to do everything from that point forward. And that's not what we're talking about here. We need to do what we can do and trust God for the rest. It is important that we let him work in us when we do our part, as well as work for us when he does his part. The things that we can't do. So that we are prepared to stand up for him. To stand for what he calls us to stand for. So that we're ready when he returns. This all happens through humility. Thinking more of others and less of yourself. We live in a very entitled time where people say, hey, it's my right and this is what it's about. I want this. And what, Paul, what Peter is saying here is, yeah, uh, do the opposite of that. Put other people first, especially within the context of this body. Be humble. The second of the last words is be aware. Be aware. Live with your eyes wide open. Listen to what Peter, how Peter explains this in verses 8 and 9. He says, be alert and, sober, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. A key reason why you and I have struggles is because we have a spiritual enemy. Satan deceives us the way he tricked Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Peter says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for opportunities to do that to you and to me. The word Satan means adversary, and the word devil means the accuser or slanderer. These readers who were reading Peter's letter had already experienced the attacks of the accuser and the slanderer, and soon they would meet the lion in their fiery trial. So Peter gives them some guidelines to help them secure victory over Satan. The first one is this. Respect him. Respect him. Now, why would we respect Satan. For one reason, he's dangerous. He's very, very dangerous. Several years ago, a friend of mine, David Mitchell, was helping me wire our basement. We were, we were finishing our unfinished basement, and he was helping me do all the wiring, all the electric, all the cable, everything. And when I say he was helping me, I mean he was doing most of the work. One night, it was extremely late, and we were working, and a tool that David was using made an unintended connection between two hot wires, and there was this loud noise, and then all of a sudden, everything went dark. And for a few seconds, I wasn't sure if David was still alive. Fortunately and thankfully, David was just fine. But we were reminded that night that the first thing you have to do when working with electricity is you have to respect it. It's only after you have respect for it that you can handle it. And if you don't respect electricity, eventually it will bite you, or worse. Satan is much the same way. You have to respect him. 
Satan is a dangerous enemy. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John says Satan is a destroyer. Satan has great power and intelligence and a host of demons to assist him as he attacks the people of God. Never joke about him, ignore him, or underestimate his ability. Peter says, when dealing with him, we must be of sober mind. This word means to be free from the influence of intoxicants. I think what Peter is saying here is that when you face off with Satan, you better have a clear mind, which is the opposite of the way you think when you've had a few drinks. You're not as sharp, let's be frank. You can't lack focus when you go face-to-face with him or he will devour you. Part of being sober-minded also includes the fact that you can't blame everything on the devil. Let's not give him more power than what he has. He doesn't have, he's not omnipotent like God is. He doesn't have all power. He's limited. But we sometimes want to give him more power. Some people see a demon behind every bush, or they blame Satan for headaches or flat tires, or when they hit the door, or the, the bedpost in the middle of the night with their toe. Ever done that? Yeah, you feel like there's a devil right there, right? Now, the truth is, Satan does have some authority to inflict physical sickness and pain. But we don't have biblical authority for casting out demons of headaches or demons in bedposts. Let's not give him more power than he has. He doesn't have all power. But he has a lot of power, and he is extremely dangerous. Thus, we have to respect him. Well, there's a second guideline that Peter gives us to secure victory over Satan, and that is we need to recognize him. And the reason for that, the reason we need to recognize him, he's the great pretender. Paul says in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, verse, chapter 11, verse 14, he says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. His strategy is to counterfeit whatever God does. According to Jesus' parable, the parable of the tares, some of you may know it as the parable of the weeds, Jesus explained, wherever God plants a true true Christian, Satan looks to plant a counterfeit. And he would totally deceive us if it were not for the Holy Spirit and the Bible. They shed light on what he's doing. The better we know God's word, the sharper our senses will be in order to detect Satan at work. 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John's telling us we must be able to test the spirits and know the true spirits from the false ones. And only the Holy Spirit and the Bible help us to do this. We need to recognize the great pretender The third guideline that he gives us is to resist him. Resist him. This means we take our stand on the word of God and we refuse to be moved. Paul said in Ephesians 6 that our weapons are the Bible and prayer and our protection, it is the armor of God. We resist Satan by standing firm in the faith. That's what Peter says. And that means We're going to put our trust in God's promises. If God said it, we're going to trust it. Our faith is in God. So resist the devil the way Jesus did. Every time he was tempted, Jesus answered the devil with Scripture. We must resist him. 
The last thought that Peter gives us in this text is never get the idea that you're the only one going through these battles, because you aren't. Listen to what Peter said. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. It's the last part of verse 9. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. They're facing the same trials that you and I face. Oh, it may be a little bit different because of uh, geography or location or time or, or age or whatever, but they're basically the same challenges. And there's somebody at some place in the world. We must pray for one another, especially in the context of this body. We need to encourage each other in the Lord. Don't quit. Keep going. Also, keep in mind that when you share your personal victories, that's going to help others, just as their victories are going to help us. I want to close with this story. I have a a really great friend who ministers in Southern California. And a few years ago, he was going through a particularly stressful few months. It was just filled with all kinds of disappointment and unmet expectations. And he found his personal anxiety just increasing and increasing. He was kind of stressed out. He tried everything from working out, which is kind of funny if you know him. And then he even went to counseling for a while, thinking that might help him. Someone suggested he go to a chiropractor, so he tried that. He even ended up seeing a psychiatrist. And he said all of these things were helpful in one way or another, but nothing seemed to help the problem. One day near the peak of his frustration, he found himself at lunch with a pastor who was visiting from out of town. This was a guy that my friend had tremendous respect for. They weren't particularly close, but he thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him my questions about anxiety and fear and pain and failure. I'm just going to take a a risk. And so my friend said, he asked him. And normally when he asks these types of questions, people always give him a couple, you know, spiritual tips or give him a spiritual pep talk, you know, hang in there. Jesus loves you. And don't, you know, he died on the cross for you. You know, you can hang in there. But on this day, he didn't get any of that. He said, all I got was a story. This is how my friend explained it. He said, he told me about a recent pain in his own life. Some longtime family friends had betrayed his trust, left his church, and ended their decade-long friendship. Their allegations of him were false. Their offense about him towards him was unjustified. But the impact on him was nonetheless devastating. My friend said, my heart broke for for this pastor as he was telling his story. And despite my compassion for him, he said, I was strangely encouraged by this story he was telling me. I felt a connection to him and the confidence that God was still with him. And then it dawned on me, if God was still with him, why wouldn't he still be with me? You see, one guy shares his struggle with another guy. And this guy's struggling. This guy's been through it before. And all of a sudden, this guy finds help to keep going. It gives us hope, doesn't it? I think life is better together. I think we're better when we live together. Especially when we're facing a struggle. 
And that's what Peter said here at the end of verse 9. He said, you're not alone. You're not alone. You and I, we need each other. And that's why it's so important to be connected to biblical community. I don't do this very often, but I want you to take your program and look at it for one second. I think we attend here long enough, we get used to everything on this, and we, we stop paying attention to it. But there's something on this back side. You know on the bottom here, there's a card. You fill out your personal information. And on the back side, there's, it says, my next step. And there's one box here. It says, get connected in community. I want to dare you to check that box. Because some of you, you're a lone ranger. You're doing this by yourself. Or you're doing this with your spouse. But you know, you know that you need to get connected. You just haven't done it yet. Now, I told the first service I was going to dare them, but I was going to double-dog dare you. I'm not ready to do that yet, okay? But you push me. Trust me. I'm kidding. Here's my hope. All of us have to recognize that either we're in the midst of a struggle or there's one that's in our future. And the question is, are you going to do it by yourself Or are you going to do it with the help of some people who want to see you get over the finish line? I want to challenge you to fill out this card. Check this one box. Get connected in community. Drop this in the offering bag. And and let's take some steps to get connected to some other believers who you're going to find out really do care about you if you're not already connected. Peter wrote these last words because he knew that Christians were going to be facing a difficult time here in the future. They're either facing the trial, as I said, or they're going to face one in the future. So, in the spirit of what Peter intended for the first church, what about for us in the 21st century? Why don't we step out of faith and live in humility? Let's live by being aware of what Satan is doing. And let's do it in the context of biblical community. Let's encourage each other to keep going, to keep fighting the good fight. Let's pray together. God, I'm very thankful tonight, today, for the blessing of Jesus. I'm so grateful that he was willing to go to the cross to wash away the sins of mankind. That included my sins. God, because of Jesus, I have a relationship with you. All of us do have accepted him. We're grateful, God, for all that he was willing to do for us, to give us the promise of life in heaven for all eternity, to be part of your family, to be pure and new. God, we're grateful. Lord, as you uh, wrote these words, I believe you're preparing us for the challenges that we're going to face. So help us to be humble ourselves around others. Help us to put other people in this body ahead of ourselves and their, their purpose and their desire ahead of us, ahead of me. Help me, God, to not exalt myself, but to lower myself. God, help us to be aware of what our enemy is doing. God, I thank you for your Bible and the Holy Spirit that lives in us to help us to see what he's doing. Lord, don't let us 
allow him to have even the slightest foothold or gain any kind of advantage in our lives or in this church. And God, I pray a special prayer for those that are here today who limped in here because they're facing a spiritual challenge or maybe a physical challenge, maybe a relational struggle. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom and courage to stand with you. I pray for victory over the enemy in the name of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for what you will do in every one of those situations. God, thank you that we're not alone. When we face this fight, we know you're with us, and we know that there are other believers all around the world that are going through the same challenges, even some in this room. So encourage us and use us to encourage others to stay faithful and to not quit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.